Hello, friends. It's August 8th, and this is the One Year Bible Tour Guide Podcast. I'm your host, David McAdam, and I look forward to reading more of the Bible today. I hope we will all gain fresh appreciation for the way God has made himself known in history. Personally, I find it a stunning fact that God's redemptive activity is consistently set up for the big event of what he would accomplish in the person of his Son who lays down his life on the altar of the cross to atone for our sins. Where? On Mount Moriah, center stage, in Jerusalem, and the veil of the temple there will be torn in two because the sin barrier of separation will be removed for those who looked to Jesus, the Redeemer, crucified and risen, high and lifted up. We are now reading the book of Ezra in the Old Testament. Yesterday we read about the rebuilding of Zerubbabel's temple in Jerusalem after the Temple of Solomon had been destroyed and after the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. It would be on an expanded version of this temple that the Lord Jesus would appear and as John the Apostle would write, we would behold his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The temple was just a placeholder for the perfect mediatorial work of Christ, which makes possible restored fellowship with God. There is a gap of 60 years between the events we read about in the first six chapters of Ezra and those which we will start reading about today when Ezra returns from the Babylonian captivity with another remnant. In between chapters 6 and 7, the providential events that saved the Jewish people from a wicked plot of extermination took place. These are recorded in the book of Esther, which we will read about later this month. Ezra will return to Jerusalem from the Persian Empire 20 years after Esther becomes queen. So now let's go to the book of Ezra, chapter 7, as the history of redemption continues to unfold. Ezra, chapter 7. Ezra sent to teach the people. Verse 1. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest, this Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem, in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers, and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, peace. And now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. 
for you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the free will offerings of the people and the priests, vowed willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money, then, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs, with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold you may do, according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls to you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I, Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence, up to one hundred talents of silver, one hundred cores of wheat, one hundred baths of wine, one hundred baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven, lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may judge all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God. And those who do not know them you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king, to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me, and I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Chapter 8. Genealogy of Those Who Returned with Ezra these are the heads of their fathers' houses, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylonia, in the reign of Artaxerxes the king. Of the sons of Phinehas, Gershom. Of the sons of Ithamar, Daniel. Of the sons of David, Hattush. Of the sons of Shechaniah, who was of the sons of Parosh, Zechariah, with whom were registered 150 men. Of the sons of Pahath Moab, Eliahoenai, the son of Zerahiah, and with him two hundred men. Of the sons of Zatu, Shechaniah the son of Jehaziel, and with him three hundred men. Of the sons of Aden, Ebed the son of Jonathan, and with him fifty men. Of the sons of Elam, Jeshiah the son of Athaliah, and with him seventy men. Of the sons of Shephatiah, Zebediah the son of Michael, and with him eighty men. Of the sons of Joab, Obadiah the son of Jehiel, and with him two hundred and eighteen men, of the sons of Bani, Shalomith the son of Josephiah, 
and with him 160 men, of the sons of Bebai, Zechariah, the son of Bebai, and with him 28 men, of the sons of Azgad, Johanan, the son of Hakatan, and with him 110 men, of the sons of Adonakam, those who came later, their names being Eliphalet, Jehuel, and Shemaiah, and with them sixty men, of the sons of Bigvi, Uthai, and Zakur, and with them seventy men. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava, and there we camped three days. As I reviewed the people and the priests, I found there none of the sons of Levi. Then I sent for Eleazar, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jarib, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leading men, and for Joyarib and Elnathan, who were men of insight, and sent them to Ido, the leading man at the place Kasaphia, telling them what to say to Ido and his brothers and the temple servants at the place Kasaphia, namely, to send us ministers for the house of our God. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discretion, of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and kinsmen, 18. Also Hashabiah, and with him Jeshiah, of the sons of Merari, with his kinsmen and their sons, 20. Besides 220 of the temple servants, whom David and his officials had set apart to attend the Levites. These were all mentioned by name. And this concludes our reading from the Old Testament book of Ezra. As I have mentioned, there is a gap of approximately 60 years between Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7, during which Xerxes, the son of Darius, becomes king and the events recorded in the book of Esther take place. Xerxes ruled from 486 to 465 B.C., when he is assassinated by Artabanus, the commander of the royal bodyguard. He is succeeded by Artaxerxes, his son, under whose reign Ezra returned to Jerusalem in 458, forty years after the first remnant returned under Zerubbabel. Ezra would lead his contingent back to Jerusalem twenty years after Esther became queen. The temple had been completed in 516 B.C. By the time of Ezra's appearing on the scene, the temple had been standing for 58 years. Ezra wanted to lead as many as possible back to Jerusalem. Therefore, he needed an official decree from the king of Persia. That official sanction was very important for them to have, especially as they were questioned and attacked by enemies. Ezra, a scribe descending from Aaron the high priest, was well versed in the law of Moses, and the gracious hand of the Lord was upon him. He had determined to study and obey and teach the word of God to the people of Israel. Ezra chapter 7 verse 10. As with his predecessors, Achaemenid kings Cyrus and Darius, Artaxerxes commands his treasurers to provide whatever is needed for the work of the temple. The chronicler includes a copy of Artaxerxes' official letter granting permission and resources for Ezra's mission and the worship of the God of Israel at their temple in Jerusalem, in Ezra chapter 7, verses 12 to 26. Ezra is also officially commissioned to teach, interpret, and uphold the law of God and the emperor, in chapter 7, verse 26. He is also authorized by the Persian king to appoint 
governing officers for all the land west of the Euphrates River. Ezra writes in the first person, beginning with verse 27. What follows is known as Ezra's memoir. He acknowledges God's sovereign hand giving him such favor from the king of Persia. He lists those who join him in his return from Babylon to Jerusalem. Notice the shortage of Levites once again. Now I assembled them at the river that runs to Ahava, where we camped for three days. And when I observed the people and the priests, I did not find any Levites there. Ezra chapter 8 verse 15 Jesus had difficulty recruiting those from successful lifestyles, those who were happily married and made business and real estate investments. This is why there is a shortage of laborers. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Luke chapter 10, verse 2. Ezra has his prayers for Levites answered. Because the gracious hand of our God was on us, they brought us Sherebiah, a capable man from the descendants of Mali, son of Levi, and other family members. In Ezra chapter 8, verse 18. Many of those in Ezra's remnant were related to those who had returned with Zerubbabel. Warren Wiersbe points out that the pioneering spirit seems to run in families. Ezra is thankful for the capable men who made themselves available to join his mission to return to Jerusalem. Now we move from Jerusalem to the city of Corinth. In the New Testament reading, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-21 through 21, The Ministry of Apostles This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want, already you have become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, 
to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod, or with love in a spirit of gentleness? And this concludes today's portion from the New Testament, from the Epistle of Paul to the Corinthians. In this chapter, Paul goes on explaining that he and other servants of Christ are fellow laborers. They are called to be faithful stewards of the gifts and opportunities given by God. There are some carnal teachers that are encouraging carnal behavior at Corinth. We learn that their super-apostles claimed a superiority to Paul in terms of sophisticated rhetoric and financial prosperity. The responsibility of the steward is to be faithful to his master. We are not to measure a man by natural standards, but by their faithfulness to Christ. Paul knows that it is not the judgments of men, or even our own judgments, but the judgment of God that matters. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 3, It is good to be daily subject to the judgment of God's word, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and to live your life in such a way as not to be ashamed at the bema seat judgment of believers' works, in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 15, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. The Apostle Paul is an exemplary disciple-maker. He is more than an instructor to those in his circle. He is a father. He takes responsibility for his disciples, as a father takes responsibility for his family. He also trains them to become disciple-making missionaries themselves. Paul founded the church family in Corinth. He provided pastoral care and biblical teaching. He shared his life with them and lived in an exemplary fashion. Those in his care did not feel like orphans. They felt like they belonged and were blessed to be together with family. Where are the spiritual fathers today? I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul never had anyone call him father, for that would be contrary to Jesus' teaching. But there are quite a few whom we read about in the New Testament that Paul considered his children or sons in the faith, and there are those who considered Paul as their spiritual father. Tutors or guardians were hired slaves. Paul saw his role as being more than a hired servant or an official caretaker. He had the best interests of the church at heart and the same kind of affection that a father has for his own children. Now let's read from the book of Psalms, Psalm 30, verses 1 through 12. Joy comes with the morning, a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up, and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, 
and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The psalmist addresses the Lord and his fellow worshipers in this wonderful psalm of thanksgiving. The psalmist expresses, number one, a personal resolve. He determines to exalt the Lord for the gift of salvation in verses 1 through 3. The Lord rescued him. He lifted him up out of the depths in verse 1. The Lord answered prayer, helping and healing him in verse 2. The Lord delivers him from death in verse 3. Number two, a brotherly exhortation. This is an exhortation for God's people to sing of His sure mercies in verses 4 and 5. His anger lasts momentarily. His favor to the saints that belong to Him lasts for a lifetime. Our afflictions are temporal and profitable. Joy comes in the morning. Number three, a solid truth. Faith, in order to be secure, must be anchored in the perfect person and work of Christ and not in our circumstances or condition in verses 6 and 7. We get dismayed if we walk by sight and trust in our own merits rather than walk by faith and trust in the merits of our Savior. Number four, there's a redemptive request. He offers a prayer request for an ongoing experience of God's mercy so that His time on earth can be redeemed in verses 8 through 10. And fifthly, there is a testimony. Think of what the Lord has done for you. He turned your mourning into dancing and removed your sackcloth and clothed you with joy. Has your heart been released to give thanks today, or has it remained silent? For our final stop on our Bible tour today, we go to the book of Proverbs, and we receive from that treasure chest of wisdom, Proverbs chapter 20, verses 28 through 30. Steadfast love and faithfulness preserve the king, and by steadfast love his throne is upheld. The glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Blows that wound cleanse away evil. Strokes make clean the innermost parts. These proverbs teach that a virtuous character will have an enduring influence if it is based on God's righteousness. The advantage of youth is greater physical strength. The advantage of old men is wisdom gained from experience. The third proverb speaks of the spiritual advantage to discipline. It is generally true that physical punishment can scour away bad behavior, although, as we learn from other Proverbs, some will never learn from such correction. Now let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. We ask for the grace to be able not just to hear it, but to apply it to our daily lives. We look to you for your provisions to resource our mission as those commissioned by your Son to make disciples. 
We ask that you open doors for us to share the gospel and send forth more laborers into your global harvest. We ask that you stir up those who may be lazy or stuck in false comforts and put it on their hearts to join you in this enterprise. We are grateful to be co-laborers with you in making Christ known. Give us your heart that we may know your affection for those whom you are drawing to your Son and invest in their lives accordingly. In Jesus' name, Amen. This is the end of today's excursion through the one-year Bible tour, and we look forward to being with you tomorrow as we continue in the book of Ezra and Paul's letter to the Corinthians and move on in the Psalms. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write to us at podcast at newlife.org. Always love hearing from those who are participating in this adventure of reading through the scriptures in a year. Also, if you'd like a written copy of our commentary, you can go to our website and receive a free email at newlife.org, newlife.org. So until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Shalom. Shalom.